Well, let's get into the word. Let's look into the word of the Lord this morning. I like that. Praise God. I love the word of the Lord. I love God's people. So um, let me invite you to bow your heads as we pray, as we look into the word of the Lord this morning. Uh, I'm super excited uh, that we get to just open a little bit of this nugget and trust God that he give us the revelation to see the full picture of it. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is pure. Your word is power. The servant said, just speak the word. And so we declare that as we attempt to um, read your word and interpret it, we ask the Holy Spirit to give us the revelation, the inspiration that we need. Father, we pray in Jesus' name that our time together will be a time of focus, faithfulness, to receive the revelation that you have for us so we can walk in the reality of life here and let our light shine so bright. I pray that over someone this morning that your light is going to increase. For as you grow in your revelation of God, so the light shines and that people will recognize the transformation and you would say because of God's glory. I pray that over the body of Christ, but I pray that specifically for someone this morning, perhaps online, but maybe here. That they seem as if and it feels as if they're in a dark place, but I pray that today this message will bring a revelation of who you are, and their light will increase. And they will know that all things are possible with God. And so we honor and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Uh, This morning, what I want to do is to continue, I believe, a prophetic word for the church. It can relate to the country. And I believe it needs to. But I believe this is a message for church. And my prayer this morning is that perhaps someplace in this message, you would receive the revelation that you are the church. And that you would walk in all that God has for you. And so although this message can be related to the nation. It is specifically for the church globally, but because I live in America, it's for the church in America. Uh, Go to Jeremiah, please, before we get to our teaching text. I just want to bring perhaps some of you who your first time here or your schedule hasn't allowed you to be and receive all the messages. I just want to take just a couple of minutes as an intro Before I go to Luke chapter 10 and we look at the great teaching of Jesus regarding the parable of the Good Samaritan, there is so much nugget that I believe ties into where God has been taking us. But in Jeremiah chapter 8, we began in the first Sunday of the month of May, and I'm reading from the New Living Translation for this particular portion of Scripture. So if we can get that on the screen. I apologize, media, for not giving it to you earlier. But if we can get Jeremiah 8, 18 to 22 on the screen, that would be fantastic. And then we're going to look at Luke 10, 
and, and dive into the meat of our message. But, but just for a review, a, a 30,000 uh, feet view um, is, is important. Jeremiah 8, verse 18 to 22. When studying the scriptures, I heard someone teach that we must not be intimidated by the depths or by the height of scripture. What I mean by that is we shouldn't just stay level. We should go deep into God and we should go high into God, right? Get, get, get all God has for us. And so they use the example of a mountain that I've had the privilege of not climbing all the way. Come on now. You know what I mean? But at least halfway. And it was my birthday. I don't remember which birthday it was, but I was doing a wedding for a family and uh, they got married in Colorado, and so they invited me to come. Those are the weddings I enjoy, hey, amen, where they fly you out and you get the beautiful scenery. And I was out in Colorado, and um, they mentioned this particular mountain, Pikes Peak, and, and um, I was able to, to walk up the steps to get there. And so when I began, it, it felt it was easy. But when I, when I got to not even halfway, as soon as I took probably about 10 steps, the elevation the height of it started to affect my oxygen level. And so I had to count one, two, three, step. One, two, three, step. I'll never forget when this older gentleman, probably in his 70s, just walked right by me. I said, show off. You know what I mean? Just walk right by me. Why the guy showing off? You know what I mean? But the difference was he lived there, so his body adjusted to the altitude where I didn't live there. A lot of times we read scripture, if we don't live in the text, come on, we can't breathe properly, right? And so God wants us to be people who live in the text. So as we scale the mountain of ignorance by a world that's trying to take away our God, we can breathe, come on. And so Jeremiah is, is, is doing that, that, that Jeremiah should be the posture of every church. Jeremiah should be the posture of every church because when we get to Luke 10 and we see the teachings of Jesus, I believe that we're going to see perfectly the connection. And so in Jeremiah 8, 18 to 22, he goes and he begins. He's seeing the condition of the nation, not the global nation at the time. He was looking at the nation of Israel, God's people, and it says, my grief is beyond healing. My heart is broken. He says, we're not living how God wants us to live. We can't breathe. And then he says, listen to the weeping of my people. It can be heard all across the land. There is a cry that is taking place, church, of people who are crying out and asking, is there wholeness anywhere? Is there anything I can put my trust in? And so they're crying out, has the Lord abandoned Jerusalem, the people ask. Is her king no longer there? Oh, why have they provoked my anger with their carved idols and their worthless foreign gods, says the Lord. 20 of 8. The harvest is finished and the summer is gone. The people cry, yet we are not saved. I want you to write that down because as we, as we unpack Luke 10, we're going to see the significance of that question. Now, in this context... In this context, and why are we not safe from the destruction of the enemies of the other nations that are afflicting us? It's not necessarily salvation from the terms of going to heaven. This salvation is really mean to be delivered. It means to be, why are we not yet delivered? He's asking the question. 
Why are we still going through this? It says the harvest. So we're seeing that there is still prosperity. The summer is gone. The people still cry. We are not saved. Verse 21, I hurt with the hurt of my people. And I said, last time I was teaching, I said, hurt people, hurt people. But in this context, the prophet is saying, no, I am able to interpret the heart of God. Write that down. You have to, in this season, as the church, write this down, interpret the heart of God. We must interpret the heart of God. And if it means we must go to the depths where David says, God, you're with me. And if we must go to the highest mountains, then we must. Why? Because we must interpret the heart of God. Because Jeremiah the prophet is saying, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I identify with them. I'm not some some elitist. He says, no, I'm right in the mix with you as well. And that's what you want in your leadership. That's what you want to be able to identify. You have to be able to understand and relate to people's pain, but not conform to the world that brought the pain. We've got to be able to show victory. And so he's saying here that the only way this can work, he says, I hurt with the hurt of my people. I mourn and I'm overcome with grief. And so when we see tragedy takes place, taking place, as we're seeing in the week, uh, and we're seeing, and there's more to come, by the way, that tragedy, it's almost like it's identifiable, that, that as we see the heart of mankind, as we see the wickedness, people without Christ, you do understand there's people who don't know Jesus, right? Even in America, where Bible is the best-selling book, there's still people who don't know Jesus, And so because of that, unfortunately, they're influenced by their sinful nature to do things that cause tragic situations to take place that we witness in the news. So as the church, we have to interpret the heart of God so we can speak to a nation who is grieving. But most importantly, we got to speak to a church who must answer a grieving nation. Are you with me? Didn't anybody tell you when you got saved, you had a responsibility? I apologize for the person who told you that when you got saved, you had no responsibilities. The moment you got saved, you became the voice of God. You became a vessel of God. You became a representative by the power of the Holy Spirit to tell people the heart of God. Are you with me so far? And the world has the right to judge us in that respect because that's what the book says. It may not sound fair that we can't judge them, but they can judge us. (laughs) Can someone say amen to that? And so let's not fight with them judging us. Let's live by the righteousness of Christ so we can answer their judgment. So when they see us mourning, they can realize, why are you crying? We're weeping over the condition of this world because we have an assignment. Are you with me, somebody? That when you got saved, as we talked about, why are they not saved? We're going to understand this. We're going to unpack the whole uh, uh, a parable of the Good Samaritan because what we're seeing is Christ has given us, I believe, the most potent example of what the church must become. And it's not some social thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing because he wants us to walk in holes. And he ends by saying, is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why, the, why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? That's a prophetic word. That's the word for every single one of us. Is there no medicine in Gilead? Is there no physician there? I mean, this is ripe and ready for Jesus. It has Jesus all over this text. Don't you love those texts where Jesus, he's all over it? That he's everywhere in this text. 
And so it's from that place now we, we understand. And so the first thing we looked at was we realized now that because of our responsibility and because God is desiring us to walk in wholeness and because God wants us to receive the healing and be in good health, the first thing he says is this, so that you know my heart, understand that we are all victims of the fall. We looked at that. And then we also looked at the results of being a victim. Both of those require us to understand we need healing. Both of those, we must understand we need healing. And what I want to invite the church is into an intense discipleship to unpack this. Because hear me now, we must be equipped. Not only must we know the heart of God, we must be equipped to demonstrate the heart of God in this world. And so discipleship is what is missing. If you would ask me, pastor, what is the number one thing that is missing? Why we have no perceived power is because we have no discipleship, not making discipleship process. Not a program, a process. Write that down. Don't sign up for some program. It's only behavior modification. And you know I preached about that. That's a waste of your time. You'll get to heaven, but you won't bring nobody with you. And so we must get to a place of discipleship process. Making disciples is what Jesus says. Go and make disciples is the last word he says before he was uh, ascended into the heavens. TGP, go and make disciples. With a heart like this prophet Jeremiah, go and, and make disciples. And so when we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, we're seeing Jesus teaching the depths of how your nature can conform to the nature of God. So you become a light in a dark world to shine on the hurt so it gets healed, not to expose it for shame, but to expose the devil so it gets out of the game. Oh, oh let me say that again. That God is calling you to expose your light. In the hearts of humanity so they can see the hurt, not for shame, but to expose the devil so he gets out of the game. He's playing games too long. Come on. So he gets out of the game of bringing things in your mind that's not true. That's bringing lies. And so here we're looking at this. And so we need to establish a corporate gathering where we go deep and high into the word of God for discipleship to unpack all that God has for us. Are you with me, somebody? And so I can't do this in 45 minutes. No, 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 no. We've got to take time and, and we've got to invite you to the table where you can have dialogue, right? Dialogue. Because this way is really me speaking and trusting that you're getting things from the Holy Spirit. But when we get to the table and we unpack things together, that's why I enjoy meeting you for coffee. Because I told you before, when I meet with you for coffee, for discipleship, you give me revelation. I write them down. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Because guess what? I understand that revelation is coming from people who love Jesus. I don't care if you're safe for five minutes or for five years or for 50 years. God's got a revelation that I need that's coming through you. Come on, somebody. And that's so important for us to understand that, that we are lifelong learners. Lifelong learners. And so now with these two things, we are victims of the fall. The second thing, the result of being a victim. Now we enter the third thing. Because when we looked at Moses, in the life of Moses, I love where it ends, but it's also Moses' beginning. That we see that Moses gets to this place now where Moses couldn't help himself but to help people. We're, we're, we're going to see this unpacked because Moses gets to this place. Now, if you look at Exodus chapter 2, he gets to this place where he's running for his life. He's running because he's called but has no sense of direction. 
Moses is dressed as an Egyptian, but he has Hebrew nature in him. And, and, and so Moses goes now and he rests at the well and because he's tired and because he needs refreshment, he's run. He's dressed as an Egyptian. And all of a sudden we talked about these seven daughters came and Moses couldn't help himself. He had to help them. He had to help them. When you know that you're called by God, it didn't work the first time. You can't run away from the call of God in your life. There's something in your nature to want to help people. Are you following me so far? There's something in your nature that wants to help people. But the problem with that is if you just want to help them without them being healed, you're just going to create a social program that only provides one aspect of what God wants to do in their life. And so what we have here, what we have here, now listen to this. This is very practical. It may not be prophetic, but it's very practical. We have Moses who survived the Nile. We have Moses who survived his, his people talking about him. We have Moses who survived Pharaoh wanting to kill him. So we have a survivor, a lawgiver eventually, but right now he's strictly a survivor, who now connects with another survivor, his wife, Zipporah. Because Moses, the Bible says, saved her. Go back to the prophet Jeremiah. He says, we're not saved yet. So every time before Moses showed up, every time they went to the well to get water, they were inflicted. They were victimized by these shepherds. But finally, Moses, who's a survivor, comes and rescues them. So now you have a survivor meeting a survivor. Let that sink in for a second. Two survivors meeting together. Two survivors who both have hid their hurts. Because all we know is we survive these things. And God is saying, Moses, i got to release you into your destiny. There's a nation that's crying out, so I've got to heal so you can help. I've got to heal you so you can help. And so now we get to our text in Luke chapter 10, verse 33 to verse 34. I want you to turn there with me, and I appreciate you giving me the last 15 minutes to unpack that because it makes no sense me going ahead if you're not following. I don't want to go for a walk. I want you to come along with me as we walk together in wholeness, in wholeness. And so today we're going to look at it's in our nature. And so we got three points, but I put them together. So the first point is this. It's in our nature. Uh, the second point is to see people. And the third one is then to receive healing. So if we are prophetically declaring that this is what it's supposed to be, and we have a nation who's crying out in the tragedies that are taking place, the wickedness of evil that's taking place, a place where God is only acknowledged when it benefits us. Can I be honest, right? That's the world. I'm not talking about the church. I'm talking about, I'm talking about the world, not the church. I'm talking about the world. They only acknowledge God in a speech. A Grammy, come on. An Oscar award. Something to acknowledge that, hey, there is a God. And so what we're seeing here is this. Is the church, we're saying, it's in our nature to, to see people do what? Receive 
healing. That's what we're talking about. So I believe in the return of Jesus. Is anybody else believing Jesus is coming back soon? Yeah. Read Revelations 22. He's coming back soon. Right. And that's not to scare you. Come on. Right. It's like, oh, my gosh, I better hurt and do stuff. No, that's not what we're talking about. His return is to restore all things. Mm. Woo. Not to take things from you in the rapture, but to restore all things back to you. Oh, come on. That is so good. I'm already got my preaching going on. I got to. I'm trying to sweat this morning, babe. You know, we got to. Get on that plane. You know what I mean? So, but, but, but it's in our nature. Someone say, it's in my nature to see people receive healing. And, and, and so because of the return of Jesus, we're seeing that he wants to increase, increase, increase healing for this simple reason. So people would know he's the healer. He wants to increase healing, not so that we create a show, but increase healing so people will know. Oh, you ought to write that down. He wants to restore marriages, not for a show, but people will know, look what God is doing. He wants to restore sickness. Why? So people can look and say, not a show, look who, look what God is doing. And so people will know. I'm jumping ahead, but that's okay. Because Jesus, when we understand the purpose of his healing ministry, then you'll be able to rest and say, God, oh my goodness, healing is part of the deal. And the complications are not removed because some things are the mysteries of God. So, so some are the mysteries of God, of, of why he does this but doesn't do this. Write it down. It's the mysteries of God. If you're going to understand it's in our nature to see people receive healing, you have to submit and surrender to the mysteries of the God who you want to know and not just a God who you want people to show. Come on. You want to be a God who who people know. So the purpose of healing is, is... for that. So here's the first thing as we, as we unpack this in Luke 10, 33 and verse 34. And I'm reading now from the English Standard Version. It says this. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. Verse 34. He went to him and bound up his what? Wounds. Pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The first is this. When we look at Jesus teaching this parable, it's simply this. Healing for the wounds of my people. So it's in our nature. It's in our nature as we look at the good, uh, the good Samaritan. That is to bring healing for the wounds of my people. Now, now, being a good Samaritan is so critical because when I worked at the YMCA and we had to learn CPR and first aid, they said there was a law. It was called the Good Samaritan Law. That if you attempt to help somebody, an injury came as a result of that, you were okay because it was the Good Samaritan Law. You were seeing somebody who was wounded and you were trying to help. And so this particular parable has been captured by society and has taught people it's a good moral way to live. And yes, yes, but that's not what Jesus was really talking about here. He wasn't. What he was letting us know is simply this, that he wants to understand the nature. He wants to understand our nature to see people. 
He wants us to be able to look and realize how Jesus sees people is how we're supposed to see people. Am I, am I helping anybody this morning? It is that it is, it is in our nature to see people and to receive healing. And so, and so this is really the, the climax of it is we begin in saying, this is the answer that the prophet Jeremiah was saying. Why then are the wounds of my people not restored or not healed? And so he's saying what we need then is for people to understand this parable of the Good Samaritan. Because when they understand this parable of the Good Samaritan, the prophets who are weeping out can actually see that God is answering their prayers. And although not everyone has the gift of a prophet, Paul writes that everyone should prophesy. Everyone that's sitting here that is saved, you must prophesy, speak forth God's word, bring healing in situations, right? Because you understand that it's in your nature. Stop quenching the spirit because it's part of your DNA. Allow the Holy Spirit to move in your life to give you the revelation you need. Because if you look at this strictly as a parable, you miss the principle. Write that down. That if you look at it strictly as a parable, you miss the principle that is to be understood. And so what we're going to do then is we don't want you to miss the principle. We're going to now break this thing apart and go to where the conversation started. That Jesus ends with the story, but he begins with a question. And so Luke 10, verse 25 and verse 26 first shows us our human nature, created in the image of God, created from the dust, humus, dirt. That's the outward part of mankind. Not very appealing, but we're all dirt. (laughs) From the dust of the ground, God creates us. And so because we are God's creation, everybody, God's creation, we're going to free some of you up now, right? How to speak the truth in love. Everybody is God's creation. Everybody is. And that's why life is so important. Because everybody is God's creation. By the design of God. For the purpose of God. To come into the world at the time ordained by God. Jeremiah the prophet said that, that you call me from my mother's womb. You, you ordain me from there. Oh my. So in my nature, my God, that's what you got to speak to your kids and tell them, listen, when you're in my womb, mm, ladies, you are ordained by God for a purpose to believe not your behavior, but for you to believe that you were called from the womb. So it's in your nature to believe God. I'm helping somebody here, a parent who's grieving over your prodigal, that's grieving over your situation, that's grieving over that divorce, that's grieving over that death. Come on, I'm here to tell you the answer is to understand that from the womb, God ordained your kids, Julia, and says you will function according to design. It's in your nature, and that's why parenting needs to be. You must live like Christ says you're supposed to live, not based on me. I'm just the one to influence you, but you got to live inspired by the one who breathed the inspired word into you. Am I helping anybody? 
We live a life of influence to bring healing to the hurt that some of the things that happened to our kids that happened to you that nobody knows about the secret that nobody was told about that gets revealed now the hurt that's been there for years that's messing up their belief about God they can't live in the mystery when it feels messy that's for somebody right there I'm helping somebody out right there how do I live in the mystery of God when it's messy out here and so we got to tell them no from the womb from the womb, from the womb, it's in your nature. Come on, because you are a creation of God. But there is something that has to happen. And so we're going to see now where Jesus takes it deeper. Someone say deeper, 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 deeper. Because what he realizes now is that we're all the creation of God, but we all have fallen. And so there is a dilemma that I have to face. And so in the question that has been asked about our human nature, the lawyer is living in this tension. The lawyer asked this question from this place of tension, of being a, a, a lawyer, one who, who, who grew up, who, who was taught in the Torah, who was taught to interpret the law. Here he is now interpreting the law, but there's one who's coming who's challenging the law. He's thinking that he's doing a thing for God, and Jesus comes and says, no, you got to know God. Oh, come on, that's so good. It's so good. It's in our nature. It's in our nature. And so the lawyer stands up and he says, puts him to the test saying, teacher, verse 25, what shall I do to do what? Inherit eternal life. Now we jump to Ephesians and we're going to get there by how you're saved. But you got to see how Jesus told, told us how to get there. You get to Ephesians, but you first have to go through Jesus. And so Jesus is teaching salvation and Paul is interpreting the principle of what Jesus taught. And the reason why that is important is because of this. It's in our human nature that we have to understand how sin works and how am I supposed to fulfill the law that nobody can fulfill because there's a war going on the inside of me. My sinful nature is corrupting my divine nature and I'm in between my sinful nature and the divine nature. I'm not this, but I'm not this. Write this down. I'm in the messy middle. Ooh. And it's from that the lawyer asked the question. So first, how do I handle the mystery when it's a mess? But also, how do I live in the tension of the messy middle? And that's why if you've been here long, I says we will be biblically balanced. Breakthrough believers. Because whether or not you like it, you have to live in the tension of the messy middle. So the lawyer comes out now and he recognizes here is one who can set us free. And so he says he can do it. He's doing things that are not like the other rabboni. The word teacher means rabbi. It means that. He said, he said listen, you didn't come like all the other rabbis did. We're questioning your birth. Come on. And typically to be of upstanding status, you have to come from a birth that is recognized. And here is Jesus come from the virgin. What kind of story is that? You mean you guys didn't hook up? If I got a dollar for every time I heard a story like that, come on. Your savior, my savior, his entrance is questionable. Because the messy middle required it. Oh, my God. Because you needed someone 100% man. Who knew no sin, but one of them saying, God, who can forgive sin? The messy middle. Jesus shows up in the messy middle called the cross and he stretched forth his hands and he says, This blood's for you because to live in the messy middle, you have to be able to understand the blood. Am I helping anybody? Because it's in our nature. 
It's in our nature. And so he asked the question, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What I got to do? Now, this is debatable, but I believe where I land is simply this. The lawyer wasn't testing Jesus to trap him like some of the other religious people were. No, no, no. The religious people already picked their side. I'm going to live over here on the sinful nature part. I'm going to live religious. No, this particular lawyer was in the messy middle. He's asking the question because when we understand the lawyer's answer. He reveals a principle that Jesus recognizes and says, you're correct. So he's in the messy middle asking questions. Young people, parents, adults, listen to me. It's good to ask questions. It's good to ask questions. God is not intimidated by your questions. But some people want to ask questions to trap God like this. Is God big enough, powerful enough to make a rock he can't pick up? That's a foolish question. That's demonic in its origin. Because the Bible says in James that there's some wisdom that's demonic. And so we welcome questions. Jesus asks questions all the time to explain to people how to live in this world. And he asks questions. Why? Because he wants to get revelation of who God is. And so here the lawyer was saying, I'm seeing this Jesus, this rabbi, how he operates. And I got to ask him this question. If inheriting eternal life is not the way I'm doing it, show me the way, Jesus. This was not a question to trap Jesus. Write this down. This was a question to treat Jesus seriously. To treat him seriously. Can he really set me free? Can Jesus really do the things that we sing about in that song? Too good to not believe. Whenever I hear that song, I'm like, I told Richie, I said, time out. Do you realize what we're saying? That we're going to see revivals break out? Can the world take the church seriously? Do we really mean what we mean? Do we really say what we mean? Are we just going through the motions because we're in the messy middle? And so our human nature is going to challenge us to that. And so this, this, this lawyer was challenged and he asked a question. You see, Luke, because this story is in many other uh, gospels, but Luke doesn't seek to order the Torah's commandment. He's not saying, give me the order of it. What Luke wants to know, the readers to know is this. What are the fundamental principles? What is the main essence of the commandments? Don't give me one, two, three, four. Give me the main reason why there's one, two, three, four. That's for somebody right there. It's not rules. It's relationship. It's not policy, it's a person. Oh, my goodness. It's not a program, it's power. And so he's asking the question, it is in our human nature. And so the first thing we do is this, our human nature, as much as it is sinful, because we hear it all the time, we're not perfect, and you're right. But I don't want you to live in that camp because you'll never get free. you never get free. You have to understand how Jesus and what Jesus says about you and your salvation. And so he goes on and Luke is saying, what is the main commandment? Why are we doing this? What's the reason behind all of this? That's the essence of the question that the lawyer asked. And so Jesus now acknowledged that he's asking a serious question. And that's where I land personally. Perhaps in your study you would be able to find others who may debate that. But I believe that if you see the consistency of Jesus when it was a, a religious person, Jesus says, you whitewash, uh, uh, 
demons, viper. Trust me, the way Jesus talked to religious people, he would never get invited back to 90% of the churches. Because <laughs> he understood that if you continue to be religious, your sinful nature will eat you up. Because you will do, write this down, human effort could never get the attention of God. Human effort can never get the attention of God. And so he's asking this question. And so here is the principle. Jesus goes in verse 26 and he says, well, how do you read it? He ha- Jesus says, so, so how do you read it? You interpret it for me. I love the way Jesus teaches, don't you? I love it. My kids would often say, Dad, don't ask me a question with a question. I'm like, I love it. That's the best way to teach. Best way to teach. Teachable moments. And Jesus is the master, master of teachable moments. And we have it right here. It's a teachable moment. Jesus is so amazing. Let him teach you. Let him teach you. He's a master of it. He's a master of it. Where do you hear God the most? It's in the secret place where there's no shouting. Teachable moment. And, and so how do you read it? And so in 26, he, he said to them, um, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And so this is where now the answer comes. And he, and he says this, right? And he goes, so how do you interpret what is written? He says, so you are a lawyer. How do you interpret the Torah? Who, who, who God gave? Who, who did God use to write the law? Moses. So here he is now saying, Moses, who was a big deal, by the way. He says, how do you interpret what Moses was saying? How do you interpret it? And he says this in verse 27. And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. And with all your what? Soul. And with all your what? Strength. And with all your what? Mind. And your neighbor as what? Yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live in the messy middle. (laughs) He says, do this and you will live by principle. So I can teach you the parable. Because I can't jump to the parable yet if you don't have a principle. You will then interpret this as a program, and it'll be human what? Effort. And he's telling them, lawyer, rabbis, what you've been doing is you've been living by human effort in a system that was only good enough to usher me in. That to deal with your sinful nature permanently so you walk in your destiny in your divine nature i've got to deal with the sinful nature and i'm going to the cross to deal with that but i also have to deal with the messy middle because i'm going to leave and come back and when i'm gone i need you to know stay in the middle Answer questions of of people that want to take the church seriously. Answer their questions when they ask about issues of today. We are not intimidated by any issue that is brought before the church. No, the enemy divides us so we are not powered. We've got to come together for unity. Why? So they will know that Jesus is real, not your opinion or my opinion. It's Jesus' opinion that they need. Come on, somebody. And we fight over our own opinion, going back to our sinful nature and not living in the messy middle called unity in diversity. Good God Almighty. We must be taken seriously because Jesus is coming back. We must be taken seriously because people need help. We must be taken seriously because people are hurting. 
People are witnessing death and divorce. Just 2019, 2020, 2021. The carnage, the amount of deaths that's taking place. And what they did was they silenced the church in the greatest moment of the history of the church to speak and take Jesus seriously. We were silent. Because it's challenging to live in the messy middle. How do I love the world but not be of the world? We should have been asking questions. Instead of just simply blindly obeying. Am I helping anybody else? This is good stuff. This is good stuff because people are dealing with the after effects of a world that the God of this world, according to Corinthians, says rules. The God of this world rules. And even in the time of Jesus, when Jesus dealt with the enemy, isn't it amazing that after he's baptized, and that's why baptism is so important, that right after he's baptized, automatically by the Spirit, he's led into the wilderness. That's why we have this here. I don't care if it looks ugly. We're keeping it here. Because we need your ugly to come new. Come on. You know what I'm saying? We need that sinful nature to die up in this thing. So you're, oh, come on, somebody. Help me out here. Help me out here. Help me out here. So when we have spontaneous baptism, no, that's the spirit telling us I'm at work. Come on. That's the spirit saying I'm at work. So don't shut me down while I'm working because people are hurting and they need to know Jesus and get baptized so they can die to sin, raise up in power and resurrection so they can handle the messy middle. If you're not baptized, come on. It's hard to handle the messy middle. And if you want to use the thief on the cross, you only had one breath left. And God didn't want to be a wasted breath if you believe. But he's saying to us who are alive here, Come on. How do you handle the messy middle? It's in my nature to see people receive healing. Those are the three points. That's the message. That's a prophetic message. I'm staying on this all summer because here's the deal. That prophecy, the summer is ended. We're not saved. I don't want that to be on my watch. I want to stand before God and say, God, I preached this thing all summer. Regardless of what people say summer is supposed to be. The spirit of God is stronger than any summer. The spirit of God is stronger than, any, than anything. Why? Because God is at work and God does not take time off. Why? Because he wants everyone to come to know him. According to John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in should not perish but have everlasting life. Preacher, what's the principle in what was answered? Thank you for asking. Here's the answer. The principle, before we get to the parable, is this. Write this down. What he said was correct was he gave, write this down, the law of love. That's what he did. That's what he did. Now, the lawyer quoted Deuteronomy and Leviticus. In one answer, he quotes two Old Testament scriptures. Leviticus, that people like, Leviticus? What the world is that? That's all about sacrifice. He quoted Leviticus. And he quoted Deuteronomy, the second law. And Leviticus had to live clean in that law. And so before we get to the parable, you must understand, because we give a bad rap, we look bad on the priests and the Levites, but no, they were in the messy middle. They were stuck in between the sinful nature and the divine nature. They were stuck in the messy middle. So Jesus had to give a parable how to get them out of that to be empowered while they live. 
and serve God and man at the same time. Jesus had to teach through the parable how our nature can see people and still give them healing in the midst of we're not corrupting ourselves back in the sinful nature. That's why when people touch Jesus, who was a rabbi, he should have become, he should have became unclean, but he didn't. And so when people would touch him, they were like, whoa, because the rabbis couldn't allow people, excuse me, the priests couldn't allow people to touch him, but Jesus touched me. <laughs> Come on. Because it's in my nature to see people receive healing. Oh, my goodness. That is so good. Come on. What the world needs is Jesus. I can just close, close, close my iPad right there. What the world needs is Jesus. I'll tell this. What the world needs is Jesus. Come on. somebody. What the world needs is who? Jesus. Come on. Who does the world need? Jesus. Come on. The world needs Jesus. Shout it out so everybody on Facebook Live can hear. The world needs Woo! Come on, somebody. Oh, I'm about to do a cartwheel like I did six years ago when I first came here. Probably not. Six years older. Don't do that. It's the law of love. Look what he, t- look what he said. Love who? The Lord your God. In other words, this wasn't, this wasn't just some, some suggestion. This was priority. This was priority. Listen to what I'm about to tell you. Please don't throw stones or, or, or put a hate thing on the emoji, whatever. Listen. The law of love will require you, if you want to love your neighbor, is to love God more than anything and anyone else. I love God more than I love Magon. And she's glad about it. She's excited about it. She loves it. She says, thank God that's the case. Why? Because if you don't, you come with your hurt and you hurt me. So go and love Jesus more than you love me. I don't want to become an idol. I don't want to become a hindrance. I want you to be able in your nature to see people receiving healing. I don't want you to think that I am the only. Come on now. That's a dangerous place to be is when someone elevates you on a pedestal where they make you God. Bible, your parents want you, Jesus, and your family. Who is my family? Who is my family? See, we look at this law of love, and we try to get to do what the prodigal, excuse me, what the parable of the Good Samaritan, and we're stuck. And that's the reason why it lands on just something good that we do, that the world calls it your Good Samaritan, and they make a law that if you do something, and we've limited to that. Why? Because the law of love requires power to, in order to be fulfilled. In order to be able to love God above Magon, I need power. Why? Because I'm attracted to me. Oh. That I have affections for her. That in the secret place of intimacy is strong. So I need power that's stronger to pull me out of there. Come on. Ooh, come on, somebody. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. This is good stuff. You got to write this down. The law of love. Can you imagine the law of love in a church? People be so attracted to the law of love that they would realize, oh, my goodness, the Samaritan showed up. When we're attracted, people say the Samaritan has showed up. So that's the first thing, right? So Jesus acknowledges that. He acknowledged that. And so he asked the question, then who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? So he understands Deuteronomy, but he's stuck in uh, uh, Leviticus. He, he, he's, he's stuck in Leviticus. He's in 
the messy middle. And you got to come to the rest of the sermon series to get the answer of what that messy middle was for the Levite and the priest. But, but when you understand the principle, then the parable will make sense. And I've never seen this before in my entire life. I'm like, God, what are you saying? He's telling me, he says, Ro, do not get off this message of healing because I want to do more healings. Come on, that the world has ever seen because my return is so soon. My return is near. I want to restore marriages. I want to restore finances. Come on, somebody. I'm going to pray for the economy of the church. We're not intimidated by gas prices. Come on, somebody. We're not intimidated by food shortage. No, the devil is a liar. We are people of prosperity. We're not people of lack. The devil is a liar. I will still do the work of the Lord regardless of what it looks like out there. It's to stop us from doing the work of the Lord. And when we see in this parable, we see he took his resources. Come on, somebody. And says, I don't care what the economy looks like. The economy of God is way more important. Why? Because it's in my nature to see people receive healing. There's going to be a lot of people saying, I need my soul to be healed. There's going to be a lot of people saying, I need my feelings to be healed. Why? Because my feelings got hurt. And that's the reason why I haven't allowed God to do the deep work. So in the messy middle of my life, I need God to empower me because that experience is greater than my affection for God. And what's dangerous is bringing God into your mess. Oh. Let me break it down because what do you mean bring God into my mess? What I'm talking about is that when God comes in, he comes to deliver. He entered into this realm. You should call his name Yahshua. You should call his name Jesus for he's going to deliver his people from their sins. And so when you bring him in for a pity party, you must understand the law of love picks you up. And brings you out the law of love. So what people are looking at in the world when they come in is teach me the law of love. God is love, not love is God. God is love. And so we as a church must understand the importance of that. That when we teach the principle, the law of love, it leads to this. Someone say, where am I going? Someone say, where, where is he going? Where is he going? Come on, ask us, where is he going? Here's where I'm going. And they're coming up now, so they may steal my time. But here's where I'm going with it. For easy memory and for, easy, for you to easily process this, Mark 10 is asking the same question from a different context. So we have Luke 10, and the lawyer asks a question in Mark 10, verse 18 to, uh, excuse me, from verse 17, uh, we see the question being asked now from not the lawyer, but from a wealthy young person. And so the question is being asked. So can you imagine, it's fair to say, it's probably best to say that the question that's being asked of the world is, how do I inherit eternal life? Somebody's asking, how do I live? What lifestyle pleases God? How do I live? Is the question. And so the first thing we see is the law of love. And the second thing that's found in this is this text right here. Allow me just a few moments before you get ready to to leave out of here. I want you to understand that these two things are part of our nature. As a church, corporate gathering, I'm telling you right now, we must get a bigger building. Not because we want a bigger church, but because God's expanding our influence. I don't care the cost. There, there, there is no building. There's, there's no ministry that, that God is intimidated. Oh, I don't know if I can pay for that. I don't, I don't know if I can fund that. There isn't any. There isn't any. 
There isn't any. Stay with me, church, because one of the things, what we believe is prosperity is found in Jesus Christ alone. We teach that. We teach that. And the reason why I know is because when Jesus was born, the kings came and gave him stuff for ministry right there. They gave him stuff so they can go down to Egypt. Come on. So fulfillment of Hosea, I called him out of Egypt. And so in Mark 10, we see, and he says here, um, as he was sitting on his journey, verse 17, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit what? Eternal life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except who? God alone. What is Jesus doing here? He said, why call me good? No one is good but Jesus alone. He goes and says, he says, you know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your mother and father. And he said to him, teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. Now look at his answer compared to the lawyer's answer. Excuse me, what Jesus says. Jesus says, you know the commandments. To the Lord, he says, how do you interpret the commandments? To this one, he says, you know the commandments. And he gives it to them. If you read this, come on, in the context of Exodus, when the laws were given, the Ten Commandments, and if you read this in Deuteronomy, the second law, what is missing from here? Jesus didn't go to the principle of the law of love. He didn't go there. He went there in Luke 10, but this one, he doesn't go there. He goes to the second point, write this down, love without limits. He goes to love without limits because one thing say you have the law of love. God is, I love my heart, my soul, my strength, my thing. But you need something to walk it out in. And so what Jesus does now, he comes and he gives another principle to the quest of inherit in life. He says this now. Look at this. Everything I gave to you, everything I gave to you was for your relationship with man. In other words, Leviticus, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't do the first four. He gives, a, he gives a six. There are ten commandments. The first four connects you back to God, right? But the next six connects you to each other. And so what he's saying is this, that when you have the law of love, you fulfill the first four. But when you now want to live it out, oh my goodness, when you want to live it out, he says now it's the next six. And what he's saying is this, that the power you need is to love without limits. And the wealthy young ruler said, okay. I've kept that all from my youth. I've done the human effort to keep it. Jesus says, I'm not done yet. Someone say, he's not done. Oh, my goodness, I got to hurry up. Someone say, he's not done. Come on, be patient with the Lord. He's not finished yet. He's doing a work. He's doing a work. He's doing a work. He's doing a work. Don't you quit on him. He's doing a work. Don't you quit on him. He's doing a work. Come on. It'll make sense till it doesn't make sense. I think that's how Greg said it. You know what I mean? It doesn't make sense till it makes sense. Right? And so it doesn't make sense till it makes sense. He's doing a work. Be patient with him. Be patient with him. Be patient. When you're working with people, be patient with them. Why? Because the law of love will do its perfect work. So you can love without limits. Does that mean for some of you all, you can do whatever you want? No. It's called boundaries. And let me explain to you how boundaries work if you want to love without limits. And I'm, I'm done with this. It's not my fault. They're playing. So that's why I'm going to be done. <laughs> if you can grasp this, if you can write this now, this is so powerful. We must love without limits, and it's this. To love without limits is an intimacy that originates only from God. Mm -hmm. 
So you got a boyfriend, you got a girlfriend, you got a wife, you got a husband, and you want intimacy. Love without limits means that there's an intimacy that I possess in my nature that originate from God. And he's dealing with the hurts in my life. Oh, Because I'm commanded in order to inherit eternal life. I've got to live the law of love. And so therefore, I need to love without limits. And so the intimacy originates, watch this now, only from God. There's an intimacy that originates only from God that now I operate from to love others. So why do you have boundaries? Well, thank you for asking. The reason why I established boundaries is because we are all victims of the fall. And so not to prevent your hurt, to hinder the intimacy that I need with God to love you, I've got to establish boundaries, my God, to protect that intimacy God. When I see the messy middle, i got to see the Messiah. Woo, come on. And so to honor my parents, I've got to see God. Because the things they did to me, I got, oh my, I got to see God. How can I honor the ones who inflicted me? How could I honor the ones who brought those things to me? What I do now is because the law of love got a hold of my heart and changed my nature. What I do now is to live the law of love. I have to love without limits. So I've got to establish boundaries to protect the intimacy from which it originates from God. And it's from that place I now flow in loving you. And so when I judge, my judgment is true because it brings healing to your wounds. As a Samaritan poured oil and wine. I'm not sure when, but we're going to have a Sunday where I'm telling to invite every healthcare professional to come to church. We're going to lay our hands on them because God's going to reveal to you the way that he's healing. We're going to lay hands on them and says, what you're doing is so called by God. We're going to shift them into understanding how to see people. Come on. Receive healing. But it first starts with the church understanding the healing process. I'm not bringing them until we understand the healing process. Because our calling needs to confirm their career. Can I get a help in this place? Can I get help in this place? With the mental health issue on the rise, we need counselors to get our, lay our hands. The church must, my God, I feel this thing inside of my belly. That those who work with kids, those who work counseling, we got to lay our hands on them and anoint them with the healing process. So they can walk up the healthcare profession. Come on, somebody. Recognizing that God is at work in their lives. Are you with me, somebody? Healthcare professionals, are you hearing me? It's in your nature to see people receive healing. But it's got to church start with the church who understand the law of love and to love without limits. I'm done. I'm done. But God is not. He's still at work. He's still at work. Aren't you glad you came this Sunday? Oh, my goodness. You have been empowered because... I want you to grab a hold of this. It is in my nature. Woo. Come on. Come on, young people. It's in your nature to see people receive healing. Caught up in addiction. It's in your nature, church, to see people receive healing. Because Jesus taught the principle first. And then in the weeks to come, we're going to look at the parable. And it is going to align you. 
that I promise you, hear me, church. I, can we just stretch our hands? Let, let, let's just pray. Let's just pray. I'm done. Let, let's pray. Because I, I believe the seriousness of the hour. This, oh, that's it. Thank you, Holy Ghost. I hear the Holy Spirit saying it's the seriousness of the season. Ooh, that's for somebody right there. It's the seriousness of the season. He's, he's, he's doing something in you. He's doing something in you. Father, with every hand that's raised in this place, thank you for the seriousness of the season and for what you're doing. I thank you that we will see revivals in the streets. I thank you that we will see revival break place in Congress, if it be so, your will. Either build up or destroy it. One of the two, Jesus. It's a father with every hand that's raised, every eye that is closed, every head that is bowed. Help them to live in the messy middle. Help us to understand the law of love and to love without limits. Help us to understand these two principles that's found in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And as we unpack the parable of the Good Samaritan, let it be that we can answer the cry of a nation, of a world that is crying because of the demonic things that are taking place and lives being taken through demonic influence and death and disease. God, help us to be a voice that would say, church the reason why we speak into these issues it's in our nature to see people receive healing and so we will not be quiet we will not shut up we will not be silent no we will declare the goodness of God until he calls us home or until he returns in Jesus name if you are hurting if you are hurting Help is not on the way. If you are hurting, help is not on the way. That's the problem. Healing needs to come in your way. Healing needs to come. If you're hurting this morning and those watching online, there is a healer. His name is Jesus. And he wants to let you know before you can come to my throne and get mercy and find help, I need to heal you first. And that is what I'm doing. Giving the law of love and love without limits. In Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And amen.